Welcome to Your Life and Money, where we believe that financial planning is not just about numbers, it's about your life. I'm Brad Smith, joined always by Tim Barodi, and each episode we'll be sharing stories from real people who have used life-centered planning to achieve their goals and dreams. At Advice First, we believe that the key to financial success is aligning your money with your values and your priorities. And we're here to help you do just that. So sit back, relax, and let's get started on the journey to a life-centered plan. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. I'm very excited today uh, as we have a special guest joining us, Mitch Anthony, who's joining us from now. I should have asked this before, but I, I think you're still Minnesota, correct? That's right. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, very excited for us to have Mitch here uh, joining Brad and I today. Um, he was actually one of my uh, on the top list of speakers we were hoping or guests we were hoping to have uh, join us on the podcast. So um, I'll let Brad do a little bit of an introduction here and then we're actually going to jump right into it because we've got a lot of uh, content to, to review today. Well, I have a lot of respect for uh, Mitch Anthony. Our relationship goes back many years now. Uh, I first saw Mitch uh, speak at a conference when she was referring to this whole idea of a of uh, life-centered planning. Um, he's actually the co-founder of Life-Centered Planning and Return on Life Advisors. This is a new concept to me, but one that actually really uh, pulled at my heartstrings, because if you've listened to our first two podcasts, you'll understand that uh, we need to have discussions with clients that are go well beyond uh, return on investment and make sure that we're getting that return on life. And Mitch is really the the guy that kind of came along and and did that. And so, yeah, he he uh, co-founded Life Center Planners as well as uh, ROL Advisor. He's the author of the new Retirementality, which Mitch is now in its what version? Number five. Number five. So you can reach out and find, and get that book, uh, New Retirementality. Of any clients that I've actually uh, recommend read it, every one of them said it should be mandatory reading for anybody approaching retirement. So uh, Mitch is also a, a, a well-regarded keynote speaker uh, who is really out there trying to influence people to get the best life they can um, through a return on life. So welcome, Mitch. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Brad. Thank you both. Uh, looking forward to the conversation here. Well, let's jump right into it then and start off with kind of the beginning. What what led you to start Life Center Planning Movement here in North America? Well, I uh, when I first got introduced into the financial planning world, um, there was a lot of conversation about life planning. And I was sort of called into these national meetings and these regional meetings where they'd have a panel sort of debating what should should advisors be calling themselves life planners and at the time I was working on a book called your clients for life and I at the time I coined a term financial life planning I've since moved on to life-centered planning but it doesn't matter whatever term we use the bottom line is you know we have to answer the overarching question which is what's the money for and if we can't answer that question, then we're really not going to help clients make progress. I don't know of any human being who invests and say earns, saves, and invests for no reason whatsoever, right? There, there's intentionality around the process of earning, saving, and investing. And it's incumbent upon the advisor to find out what that intentionality is all about. 
because most of the time the investor doesn't know, even though they know they're supposed to, but they just don't know why or what the meaning is. I think I think some people do know, but it it's not going to hurt them to articulate it, right? And and it's also going to help bring clarity to it because sometimes, um, Brad, you've probably heard me talk about this, but sometimes people's goals are somewhat whimsical, and until we get them down on paper or, or we get them aired out. Um, we can't really sort through them. I, I re- This is kind of a goofy story, but I remember years ago, I went to a goal seminar and they said, there's two rules you have to obey. One, you have to write your goals down. And two, you have to keep them in front of you every single day. Well, I wrote down 35 goals and promptly lost the legal pad that I'd written them down on. And I didn't, <laughs> so I'm already in violation. And so six years later, we're moving to a new house and I'm going through the drawers, drawers in my library and I find the legal pad. And what an epiphany I had about goals that day, because as I read through my 35 goals, 20 of them or 18 of them had already happened. Uh-huh. And I had not obeyed rule number two. So that told me something about real goals, that they're organic to you. They're they're just a part of who you are. And it's you're just going to live those things out. But the other 17 goals I looked at and said, what in the world was I smoking when I wrote that down? Why would I ever want that in life? <laughs> so that was a good lesson for me about the, the need to articulate your goals and then to recheck up on them. And I'm sure you do this, Brad. You check up with people. And is that still a goal of yours? Are you are you making progress? And and I'm gonna sound real nitpicky here. But I don't, I'm not sure goal is the right word. Because when you ask people what their goals are, they feel like they're make, making some sort of verbal commitment to something. Right. And and they feel like they're being put on the spot. And what if I don't do that? I'm going to look flaky. So I, I prefer the question path that starts with, you know, as you look ahead the next 10, 15, 20 years, what are the possibilities that are dancing around in your head? See now that's a that's sort of a free form conversation. We yeah, don't have sure. to we don't have to commit to anything. What what are the possibilities? And now as you look at that list of possibilities, which ones do you think are most likely? Okay. Yeah. Not nothing is a goal until we commit time, energy and resources to it. And who wants to fail a goal? So right. I I don't want to fail a goal, so I'm just not going to set it in the first place. Exactly right. <laughs> if you soften it with possibilities, you know, then now it has a much more flexibility to it as to what it could be or could become. Like those 17 that, what was I smoking, right? Well, those were only possibilities at the time. Yeah. They, they weren't necessarily goals, maybe. Well, we're human beings too. And we, we're sort of morphing into whatever reality we're morphing into. And things change in our life. And as things change in our life, our perspectives change. And so this is why I really encourage financial advisors to stay in touch with their clients. And, you know, Brad, you've heard me say this a million times, but one of the great myths around discovery is that it's all done up front. But that that would only be true if nothing ever changed in our lives. And uh, to me, when you meet when you meet a client you know, or meet with somebody six months or 12 months later, one of the first questions that ought to be asked is, since we last met, has anything changed? Right. Right. So that we're staying current. Um, You know, nobody saw COVID coming. And then nobody saw the ramifications of the personal, familial, business ramifications of COVID coming. So we've all been through these changes that were quite unexpected. 
Yeah. And that's, that's where that whole idea of, again, putting the client's life at the center of the conversation, right? You, everything else stems out of what has changed, what's going on, and what are we still trying to achieve as we're looking forward? So, I mean, that leads me into kind of my next question is, again, as clients are looking ahead and, and as, again, people's perceptions have changed over the last number of years and, and the environment has changed, um, I know one of the words you hate to use is retirement, right? <laughs> like, and, and that's probably in, in our profession, the most commonly words that is still used amongst advisors and that most common goal that people are, are always trying to put a number or an age at. But yeah, tell us your thoughts on this whole idea of retirement and, and how that's been changing over the last number of years. Well, I, I first I'll confess that I've given up the crusade to scrub the word <laughs> lexicon of language in North America. It's not going away. And, you know, a lot of people have tried to do cute things with it and call it something else like refirement or, you know, rewirement or whatever it is. My My thing is... We're, we're dealing with individuals here, but we have this universally accepted norm, supposedly norm, right? That when we reach X age, we're supposed to take this track of life. And I prefer to put this on the individual, not the institution. And every individual has to make their own decision about what they want to do with their life at any given age. And, you know, I've been I've been sort of ranting about this for years because I've traveled across the world speaking on retirement. And I am absolutely convinced that the chief cornerstone of all retirement policy, whether it be governmental, institutional, corporate or even just societal at large, I'm convinced that the chief cornerstone of all retirement policy is ageism. It's the idea that we can tell someone what they ought to be doing because they reached a specific age. Well, if I tried that with any other age than 65, people would look at me like I'd lost my mind. Right. <laughs> right. Yep. But just because somebody's 65 doesn't mean I can prescribe to them what their life ought to look like going forward. Yeah. And and again, like it comes down to everybody everybody's age is or everybody has their own kind of different idea of what they can do at a different age. Like I, I look at my neighbor who turned 80 last fall. I mean, he's still out golfing three times a week. He's, he's more active than I am turning 40 this year. I'm half his age and, and he does more than I do. And I, I tell him that all the time. I'm like, if, if I can do half of what you do when I'm your age, I'm going to be pretty happy. But he's the same way. He worked right up until late 70s. Like he was running a hunting lodge and, and doing tours and guided um, hunting trips. And and again, it was in his mind that that's what he wanted to do. And, and that's that's what he enjoyed doing. And there was no reason to stop when he hit a certain age, because why would he? Yeah, I, I guess my the, the the line that goes through my head is do whatever you want as long as you want with whom you choose, <laughs> right? I mean, we it doesn't mean we have to stay in the same job. It doesn't mean we have to stay in the same career. But if, you know, I, I've got two interesting bookends in my life that sort of helped shape my philosophy around this. One, when I was 12 years old, I saw my grandfather who was very successful in his career retire and he was dead in six months because he literally had no reason to get up in the morning. He just, and he got sick and he died. 
My dad, on the other hand, is 87 years old. And I can guarantee you right now, as we're speaking, he's on the telephone. He's in the radio business. He's He syndicates my radio feature. My dad's been in the radio business for 66 years. He's got a tremendous set of pipes on him. So they answer the phone. when they answer the phone, they like to talk to him. And uh, he told me, he said, Mitch, if I wasn't doing this, I would have been dead 20 years ago. He's been doing this for 20 years uh, after his broadcasting career ended. So, you know... I, He's he's one of those people I call a retire mentor, and your your neighbor sounds like a retire mentor, somebody whose example um, basically gives us a license to think however we want about the life we want to live. There's two things there. There's the the one is what am I going to do during retirement? We talked a little bit about that just here now. The other part is well, when do I retire? When do I make that transition from the working years into the retirement years? And I'm always reminded of a a client of mine who came in every year he'd come in and he could brad can i afford to retire absolutely you can you can afford to here's the numbers let's go through all the cash flow projections yep you can retire you can re afford to retire ah uh, nah I, I i still got some things i want to accomplish at work next year he'd come in same story can i retire yes ah no i still got some things i want to accomplish before i pack it in you know we had that conversation eight years in a row wow. before he finally said, no, now is the time. Good. Now is the time to go. Good. So he went out on his own terms and unfortunately not everyone can, right? right? I mean, you know, some of the realities here around this discussion are a 25% of the people that retire are going to do so. Uh, you know, it wasn't their choice. It was a health issue. They were laid off, whatever it was, but it was not a planned retirement. And then you have people who work for institutions who are absolutely uh, intent about pushing people out because they can't afford them anymore. They don't want to pay them that much. I could hire somebody 35 years younger and pay them half much as we're, we're paying you. And that's just, that's one of the realities. I, you know, I've, I've had people say to me, well, you know, you're, what, what you're saying is fine if somebody owns their own business or, you know, they have some say about, and there's some truth to that. Right. For sure. But at the end of the day, even people who work for the government or work for different institutions have, have communicated with me and said, I'm glad I read the book because it made me realize I couldn't sit back and do nothing. Right. That 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 life of living in a beach chair, uh, that that was not going to satisfy me. And a lot of people learn that lesson the hard way, unfortunately. Yeah. So we are talking here kind of that transition into retirement and um, that's not, you know, solely the focus of this podcast. We recognize that there are transitions that we go through all the time, all throughout life. Um, so yeah, maybe if you could just kind of touch on life's transitions uh, and uh, what kind of trends you're seeing right now in, in transitions. Well, transitions move every which way, right? You know, we used to think about, raising kids okay and then the kids would go to college that was a transition then the kids would get a job and that was a transition then the kids would get married and that was a transition then they'd have kids okay but wait a minute come into the modern age in between kid going to college and finding work kid moves back home you know when i was growing up that was an unheard of thing right <laughs> I True. got a pretty clear message when my parents walked me out the front porch that that was the end of it. <laughs> but, but, you know, so 
and look how COVID has sort of brought new transitions into our lives, right? I'm, I'm, I've got my daughter who married a Ugandan. Uh, her and her husband it took two and a half years for him to get here because of our immigration policies. There's a transition I didn't see coming. Then when they got here, they they've been living here, and I've got two two you know my daughter, my son-in-law, and two grandkids. There's a transition I never imagined living with my grandkids for four years. I'm loving it. It's a great time. Today, we're out looking for a house for them. There's another transition, helping your kids find a house. It's like life is just full of transitions. Some are predictable and some aren't. But I like to teach this sort of economic law of life. And that is that money goes in motion when life goes in transition. And this this is the reason I think financial advisors need to pay attention to life transitions because money goes in motion because of the transition. It's right. the transition is the cause, money in motion is the effect. And when money goes in motion, it only goes two ways. It either goes away from us or it comes toward us. Yeah. <laughs> and and so, you know, one of the maxims I teach is it's better to prepare than it is to repair. So, let's look ahead, let's be proactive, let's anticipate what's coming in your life. And let's make sure we have a plan in place. That's why this conversation about transitions is so important. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, and one of the one of the things we've noticed, and and again, one of the things it was actually on a call that you hosted a couple of weeks ago that I was on was um, that idea of there of kind of shifting in and out of work and how that has been affecting like different generations. And again, the the in and out of the same transition, like a career change in and a career change out and and moving in and out of kind of earning years and child raising years and that sort of thing. And how that has really had an impact on, on people's, again, looking ahead and looking at some of those possibilities where, again, a generation ago, I would argue that wasn't really on the table for most or wasn't even on, in the mindset of most people. Whereas now it's it's a much more fluid life kind of style and lifestyle plan that we're looking at for people um, as they look to, again, maximize their their lifestyle now and in the future. Yeah, I think you're referring to the, the slide my partner Steve used that talked about the linear life path that we were, we were sort of accustomed to, which was learn, earn, adjourn. Yes, yes, and yeah. Now, now it's much more, as you say, it's much more fluid or dynamic, the, the moves in and out. You know, one of, the, one of the interesting conversations I've had in the last few years was a, a 35-year-old financial planner from Minneapolis uh, wrote me and said, you know, I've been giving your book away to my clients, so I decided I ought to read it. And he said, then I started reading it and I said to my wife, we need to read this together. And he said, it changed our complete life plan because we realized we're not going to backload all the fun stuff till we're 65 years old. We want to experience some of these things while we're young. And if that means we got to take a little time off, do a little extra saving up front uh, to be able to do those things, that's that sort of fluid lifestyle we're discussing. So that was that was kind of an epiphany for me that, you know, if you, I, I like to put it this way, retirement is an artificial finish line. It's it's not natural. Okay, retirement is not a natural act. It's this artificial finish line that has been placed upon our life, right? And we're told that when we cross that, everything's supposed to change. But if you remove the artificial finish line, what changes? 
Well, the answer is everything changes because now I'm not waiting to get X amount at X date, right? I'm just, and and by the way, Brad, I'm I'm sure you've had this thought. I've had a lot of financial professionals kind of push back and me go, well, how are we going to motivate people to save money if we don't talk about retirement? Well, how about an emancipation fund? You know, how about having enough money so that you can do what you want with whom you choose at the pace you're comfortable with? That sounds like a good motivation to me. Right. Better than a retirement fund, which puts a date on it. So right. right. <laughs> Emancipation fund. <laughs> and I mean, it also puts an end date on it when you're looking at that retirement date, because you're also looking at the how long does it need to last for, right? So you're putting right. both a start or a finish line, but then you're putting the ultimate finish line on that as well. <laughs> well, you you brought up the fact that people are moving, they move in and out of work. And I mean, I would say 35, 40% of the people that retire within six, nine months are thinking about working part-time. And even if it's not sort of up to their pay scale or their intellectual scale, they just want to be doing something. They just want to know there's a reason to leave the house. And sometimes, you know, Mrs. House is saying you do need to leave the house. (laughs) (laughs) We, We were created to work and to contribute. We weren't created to retire. And so we have to, as you said, in this podcast, we got to get rid of that retirement and just say, okay, well, maybe I can't physically do what I was doing before, but what does this next chapter mean for, you know, work or what does work mean in that chapter could be volunteer, it could be all sorts of things, but what does it mean for me on an individual level, not what society isn't trying to impose on me. I'm glad you brought up that word contribute, Brad, because the retirement that has been presented to us is not a contributory retirement or a stage of life. It's a consumption stage that we're supposed to save all this money, then move away to some gated village and get a house with a shed with a golf cart and play our life away and just consume our life away you know if you ever stop in a casino you you see a lot of retired people throwing their money away right Right. and uh it's like wait a minute what is that good for the soul to live a life where all i'm thinking about is consuming and not contributing what brings meaning and purpose to our life is knowing that we are contributing something of value somewhere somehow nice so if we try to wrap this up here in the next few minutes, uh, the last question we'll, we'll give you right now is, so in your words, why does life center planning work? Because we're dealing with human beings and not accounts. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I'll never forget when I first saw the CFP diagram and I had the six stages of financial planning, you know, debt management, asset management, tax management, legacy planning, tax, you know, all these these six areas of financial planning. And at the center, at the core, they had a dollar sign. And I said, hold it. Are you saying that all this process that you're going to walk people through is for nothing but a pile of money? What are they going to do with the money? Why why don't we have a heart at the center instead of a, a dollar sign and ask people, what do you want to do with that money? And you know, ultimately what they want to do they want to take care of people they love. They want to go to places they love and they want to engage in activities they love engaging in. It's that's what it's about. It's about bringing joy into their life. That's what the money's for. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's putting the the meaning behind the means 
Yes. Whether you really want to think it through a whole lot, but that's really at the end of the day. And it could be leisure. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it could be work. It could be family. There's a lot of these things that kind of come into, well, what is the meaning between behind the means that I'm trying to do? So it's not always focusing on that dollar sign, as you said. Well said. Yeah. Awesome. No. And again, Mitch, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And again, I don't think there's a better way that, to wrap things up for today than what you said. You can help the people you love, do the things you love, um, and do and spend time with the people you love. I think that that wraps it up perfectly. And again, that wraps up exactly why why we do what we do uh, for our clients. So, thank you very much again for for awesome. joining us today. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, our next meeting together and, and our next call together as well. Thanks for tuning in to Your Life and Money. We hope you found this episode informative and inspiring. If you have any questions or feedback, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at advice-first.ca. Remember, financial planning is about more than just money. It's about living the life you want. So take some time to reflect on your goals and priorities and let us help you create a plan that aligns with your vision for the future. We'll be back with more stories, insights, and strategies to help you get the most out of your money and your life. Until then, take care and keep planning for the life you deserve. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.